Welcome to Unsubscribed. I'm your host, Barbara Seaman, and this is a show for women that want to let go of their childhood conditioning and create for themselves an authentic life. We are here to discuss all things about motherhood, raising children, being in your 40s, and most importantly, unsubscribing. We are here to support each other, love each other, and share information for each other. So if you like the show, please subscribe. This way, you'll never miss an episode. And also, feel free to share it anywhere online so your friends and family can listen to it too. We're all in this together, ladies. Let's do this. And one more thing before we begin today. Please keep in mind that I am not a journalist or a professional interviewer. I am just a curious girl that's chatting with some really interesting women, and I am bringing our conversation to you, even if it's messy. So with that being said, I really hope you enjoy today's show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Unsubscribed. Today, we have joining us Kelly Featheringham, who is the founder and CEO of Team Leadership Solutions. So this is a leadership and team development company that's known for its expertise in helping people work better together. And as the head of this boutique organization, she partners with leaders and organizations as a trusted advisor to provide coaching and training support to really address their unique challenges. Kelly works alongside her clients to create a strengths-driven strategy. She's enhancing performance and productivity and delivering a laser-focused program customized for their organization to affect positive change at individual and team levels. So for more than 25 years, she's provided leadership to high-performing teams and championed the mindset that providing support, empowerment, and the occasional opportunity for fun is really a recipe for success for these companies. And a significant portion of her career was in the U.S. government, and that enabled her to work in and with people from many countries. So an experience that has broadened and shaped her thoughts on leadership at all levels. So Kelly is really rounded, and she is going to speak today about everything she knows about leadership and what it what it takes to start a company at, from scratch. So Kelly, thank you so much for joining us today. I really appreciate you joining the show. So please just introduce yourself and tell the listeners whatever it is you want us to know. Hi, Barbara. Thanks so much for having me on today. I'm super excited to just talk about all the, the different pieces of leadership and maybe a little bit about my journey on how I got here and thinking about different pieces of my experience that could help your listeners if they're feeling stuck or just not where they they think they want to be or should be. I think as women, we often feel that I multiple times in our life, maybe sometimes multiple times in a day. So I love the opportunity to be able to talk to your listeners about where they're at, where they're going and where they could be should they want to. Yeah, that's fantastic. So why don't you clue us in a little bit on on what was your path to getting into this? Because I know like when I was a young girl and in high school and in college, then 
like being a, a leadership coach was not on my radar at all. So how does one become a leadership coach? Like what brought you to this place? Yeah. So it's, it's really crazy. Cause I, I, I had the opportunity when I worked for the government to have an executive coach. And I must've asked her at least once every time I met with her, where were you 20 years ago? Where were you? I didn't even know that this existed and I so could have benefited uh, to to kind of rewind a little bit, I come from a, a, a pretty blue collar family. My mom was a waitress. My dad was a carpenter. So the conversations around college were not really a thing. I graduating high school. It was just what job am I going to get next? So uh, a few classes at community college and pretty much just a couple of full-time jobs. I was on my own from a pretty early age. So college was kind of, uh, if I could scrape together enough dollars to take a class here or there, I was on the uh, the 12-year plan, if you will. So it's interesting to think about the, the decisions that I made and how they could have been affected or impacted so much differently should, should I have had somebody that I could talk to, like a coach. Uh, this was in the the late '80s, early '90s, so not to date myself, but I don't. Just looking back at coaching in general, it really didn't take flight until the late '90s and early 2000s. So it really wasn't even a thing back then. One of the things that I found helpful for me was identifying different mentors and role models and people that I could ask questions. But that wasn't always the easiest thing because you just don't know who to ask. I find that knowing what questions to ask was probably an even bigger challenge. It's like you don't know what you don't know. So fast forward years later, uh, in my late 20s, early 30s, I did decide to quit my job on a on a f- Friday. I looked over the weekend at, at what schools were still accepting to try and figure out if I could get financial aid and go back to school. And two weeks later, I had enrolled uh, as many of my previous piece together credits so that I could get a, a bachelor's degree. Cause I had kind of decided that I wasn't going to be able to achieve the, the future that I envisioned without an education. Uh, I say that hesitantly, cause I'm not even sure what future I envisioned at the time. I look back now and I'm like, Oh, my path was very windy, but I, in a good way. It allowed me to have a lot of different and interesting experiences. I went to school for uh, foreign affairs and political science, thinking that maybe the government would be a good place to land at my older age, because at that point I had no savings for retirement or anything like that. So you kind of hear about, oh, well, there's, there's probably good benefits packages and things that you can get there. So maybe that would be the path forward. And Going back to school at that point was tricky. There was a lot of 18, 19, 20-year-olds that were looking at me as I worked in the in the cafeteria dish room <laughs> to help pay for my, my college that, what are you doing here? Why are you so old? And things like that. But uh, it also gave me an interesting perspective just on, on different generations and, and different mindsets and, and different experiences. Fast forward, I ended up getting a job working as a consultant for government and then eventually as a government employee in foreign affairs. And I had uh, an amazing opportunity to work overseas in a lot of different countries. And 
as you mentioned in the bio, I got to meet so many different people and cultures and, and leadership styles and business styles and just such a, a breadth and a depth of rich cultures and ideas. And it really kind of spurred this thought in my mind that it's very easy to be one dimensional and think that, oh, well, this is the way it should be done. And you talk a little bit on some of your other shows about unsubscribing to things that we come up with or the things that we grow up with and the mindsets and the, and the different things that have been kind of pre-programmed. And when I had the opportunity to go to different places and meet different people, I couldn't help but be bombarded with all of these different mindsets and all of these different thought processes and experiences. And quite frankly, even to call me up short when sometimes I thought that I had it rough to realize that there's always somebody out there that has it more rough than we do. And to humble humble myself a little bit that, you know, it, it really wasn't so bad. I had some really good opportunities when uh, I was growing up and, and some opportunities with respect to even the chance to go back to school and and get my degree. So to a certain extent, that was very useful to me in, in making sure that I checked some of my emotions and my, my excuses, I think, sometimes at the door, because I think we're all guilty of that. We can We can wallow a little bit and I can wallow with the best of them. But at the end of the day, sometimes that can also spur us into action, like I did when I first decided that I was hating my job at the time, I was going nowhere, oh, I'm going to go back to school. So I kind of turned that wallow into purpose and figured out how to get it done. That said, I'll be paying for college until forever because, you I mean, it costs money, right? It's just one of those things, but it's also one of those investments that I made in myself so that I could experience something different than I thought that I had wanted. Wow. That is really fascinating how you just had, like you said, such a windy path to get to where you are. But I have this feeling that that path was necessary for you to get to where you are now today. Would you agree? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that there's there's pieces of it I look back and you wish that you didn't have to or shouldn't have to and, and could have done differently. But I don't know that that's because my path was easier, more difficult than others. I think that we all reflect back and realize in hindsight, oh, I could have I could have made my life a little easier had I done this or changed this. But in the moment, we make decisions based on the information that we have. One of the things that I, I talk about a lot in my newest book, What's Your Ripple Effect, is about showing up at our best. And unfortunately, our best looks different every day. And we just have to embrace the fact that this is the best I can do today. And tomorrow, my best might look different. And when we look back and we realize our behaviors or our actions or the path that we take, we kind of have to forgive ourselves a little bit, or at least give ourselves a little bit of grace that, you know what, we were acting with the best information and our best intentions for that day. And if not, when we go to bed, we know if we didn't show up at our best that day, right? And we're able to kind of self-adjust and and regulate and think, well, maybe I could have showed up a little bit better today. It felt a little bit slackerish. So tomorrow I'll just try a little bit better. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I I definitely can see how the pieces of experience I've had in my life have led me to this point. Um, now looking back, some of them are very unsavory and I wish that I didn't have to experience them, but I also see how that experience led me to the next thing. It was kind of like I was following the breadcrumbs or pulling the thread and, you know, seeing, you know, what tapestry unfolded in front of me. It was like, it was necessary to go through those ups and downs along the way, because I don't think I would be here with the knowledge base or the well-rounded experience that, or even the mindset that I have now, if I had stayed on a particular linear path without having, you know, those ups and downs. Cause I think you really can't appreciate and enjoy and love all of the ups unless you've really had some horrific downs. Yes. Yes. Oh, and the appreciation is so, it's so different when you've had to struggle with something. I I find that that's one of the things that I hear people talking about, or even just seeing people with, with children and, and things like that. Now, the, when we are not afforded the opportunity to fall on our face. I mean, failure is one of those things that you can't turn on a um, a LinkedIn post or, or a podcast now without at least one or two episodes about failure, because it is such an integral piece of providing us that appreciation. I, the windy path and the difficulties, I, I almost wouldn't trade them because it really provides a totally different enthusiasm and appreciation for what I have. Uh, I, I, the first car is always an example that I give, you know, if someone hands you a first car and you, (laughs) you're, you're not worried about keeping it clean. You're not worried about the dings or the dents or the gas or all of those things. It's a very different experience. It's like, Oh, well, I have a car. I can go for here or there. But if you've saved your, your pennies and your quarters and you've, you've pieced it together and then you've negotiated that car and then you drive it off the lot or drive it from wherever you get it from the value that you place in that, the the attachment, the emotional connection you have to that achievement is just so much richer and so much deeper than someone that didn't experience that. And I almost feel like to a certain extent, that's sad that they miss out on that, that sense of pride, that sense of achievement that, wow, I, I worked for this, I got this and it's all mine and I did this. Being able to look back and, and have that pride in yourself and that confidence that I could do it again. Yeah. So this, this leads me toward a, um, an interesting question where I wonder if based on your experience, your expertise in working with all of these different cultures and countries and companies, have you noticed some sort of fascinating difference in how generations handle situations like that? Like, do you notice between like, say, boomers and millennials, there is a totally different aspect of the way they think about things like that? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, I mean, that is one of the challenges in the workplace nowadays with that. And I shouldn't say that that's new, right? Because when I first got into the workplace, it was the, the, 
the silent generation and the 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 World War II and the Vietnam folks, it, the boomers, like you said, it was the older generation, and then we were the younger generation, and there were definite gaps there on as computers were starting to come into play, and then mobile phones and things like that. There were definite gaps in how you communicate and ways that we demonstrate respect and understanding. Fast forward to today, it's the same kind of thing, just different personalities, different temperaments, different backgrounds. So bridging that gap, one of the things that I do with some of the coaching and training that I do in organizations is just that, bridging that gap between the the older generation that maybe technology was new to them at some point where computers have not been a part of their their work experience for the whole time whereas this newer generation they've had a phone in their hand since they were old enough to hold it right they've been watching youtube videos and and they're just much more savvy and quick but they're also much more tied to communication through a device instead of face to face whereas the older generations have spent a lot more time face to face it it does present an interesting uh kind of a um kind of a misdirect i think what i talk about the the millennials and the gen zers how right now they really seem to be struggling and particularly after covid and the the hybrid work they seem to be struggling because they want so badly to be included they want to be feel in the know they want to feel connected but at the same time they really don't want that to be an in person they want it, they want to remain and this is obviously a general generalization it doesn't apply to everybody but some of the things that I hear on a regular basis are that they don't want to come into the office. They only want to respond by a text message or instant message. They don't want to have to have conference calls and all of these things, yet they feel this need to be connected. And it's trying to figure out how to bridge those differences there and still get them to feel like they're included, but in the manner in which they're comfortable and in being included. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it sounds like a really difficult task for you to have to bridge together all of these different people and their personalities and their strengths. And I don't know if you've heard much about human design, but I just had interviewed a human design um, expert and like, it is so fascinating. I think you could go down the rabbit hole of understanding people to the nth degree and still have just barely scratched the surface. Oh my gosh. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and it it really is fascinating. Uh, I will say that that coaching and training has one of the key things, one of the key strengths that you really have to lean in on is listening. And I'm not doing a whole lot of it. I'm talking today, but typically in my job, my day to day, I do an awful lot of listening. And one thing that that has really opened up for me is just Again, I thought I was a good listener before, but there's so much to hear. There's so much to see. There's so much to observe when we when we look and we listen and actively engage with other people. A lot of times they tell us what they need. And I never realized that before until I I, I started doing this now for a while that now, now I see it a little bit differently. And even still, I mean, every day I'm learning and growing on my own to expand my experience, but it is fascinating to see the the different personalities and and what they'll they'll share with you even sometimes by what they're not sharing. Mhm. Yeah, so let's talk a bit about your personal 
strategy or the way the maybe is there a protocol that you use? So when like in your business, you just started team leadership solutions five years ago. So like what led you to go off on your own and how did you start this leadership business? You know, how, what do you, what do you do to make it work for everyone? I'm sure it's not cookie cutter. It's very customized, but is there a a way that you kind of handle every single company you work with? So I, okay, one, one question. So I, as I mentioned, when I was in government, maybe around 2014, they offered my, my organization offered uh, their leadership opportunity to work with a coach. And as I mentioned, mine, mine was wonderful. And I didn't even realize at the time, I think I did somewhere deep down, but on the surface, I wasn't aware that it was coming up on a time when I was going to need to make a shift. Uh, I got married a little bit older in life. So I had been okay for a long time being on the road, 60, 70, 80% of the time until I, I, got into a relationship and then I, I kind of wanted to be home a little bit. And the job that I had didn't really support that as much as I think I, I wanted. And I think I was just kind of looking for something a little bit more that would offer me the opportunity to experience an impact and, and help other people a little bit more directly. I always was very tied to my mission for government, but I was always three or four steps removed from the results. And I really wanted to be closer to the impact that I was having. So to your question about how I started the business, I, I planned on it for quite some time for about a year and a half. I thought about it and kind of mapped it out. And I, told my husband six months before I was going to put my papers in to, to um, separate from the government that this is the date I'm going to do it. I'm telling you, I have to say it out loud, so I'll do it. And I uh, I live in the DC area. I used to take a, a bus into the city when I had to go into the office. And it was about three to three and a half hours a day of commuting. And I listened to so many podcasts and webinars and things like that because uh, as a small business owner, you hear all of these different horror stories about don't do what I do, do it differently. And somehow I got it in my head that I was going to study and prepare so that I didn't fall into any of the pitfalls. Um, spoiler alert, I fell into most of them, as I think we all do, because again, you don't know what you don't know. And a lot of the things that I was outlining and organizing, I think I, I didn't know the questions to ask. And I still don't. I mean, I'm still learning and adapting and growing and trying to surround myself with experienced, knowledgeable and collaborative colleagues so that I can continue to grow. But so in, in uh, July of 2018, I put in my, finished my, my paperwork so that I was out of the government, started my company, created the LLC. At the time I did it under my name, which was just Kelly Featheringham, which was a perfect example of I didn't know what to name the company and I didn't know how to go about that. So everything I read online just said to use your name. And then uh, um, a mentor years later suggested that no one knew what Kelly Featheringham did because Kelly Featheringham is just a name. So why wouldn't I name my company so that instantaneously people would know what it is that I do, which I didn't know at the time, but was great advice. So I started the company and when I started, I was doing a lot of one-on-one coaching with executives. 
And it was just mostly coaching and a little bit of training. Uh, I had done a lot of training with the government, but I thought that I, I thought that I was happy with taking a break from that and just doing coaching. And then COVID happened and my clients kept coming to me with challenges with their teams. We're all remote. Everybody is, is struggling. They're not feeling a part of the team. Our communications are suffering. Our team building is suffering. Can you help us? So I started pulling back on, on those experiences from my, my time with the government. And quite frankly, even my time with working in food service and restaurants and bars and things when I was younger, all around that idea of community, team community and, and camaraderie and team training. So I started doing more and more training than coaching. So COVID really kind of impacted, but in a good way, it helped me to, to expand and grow without even really feeling or thinking that I was, I, I think looking back now, if I had just made the decision on a Tuesday that, oh, I'm going to expand my business model, that would have been very overwhelming. Whereas because I adapted and responded to my clients' requests and grew with them, it felt much more organic. Wow, that's quite a story. What led you to here and how COVID actually ended up working in your favor for helping you expand your business model. You don't hear that often. Usually people have really negative or uh, awful horror stories about how COVID ended up, you know, killing their business or they had to relocate or they couldn't afford where they were anymore or whatnot. Usually it, it ends up being a really negative story, but it sounds like this all worked in your favor this time. It did. There were there were certainly some some bumps. I think the opportunity to work remotely uh, was both a blessing and a curse. I think that I was able to reach more people and become more um, spread out across the United States with my my client base. But it did have a an impact. I think on the the networking piece. I recently uh, last year I joined our local chamber of commerce and really kind of had to force myself to get back out there and be social in person. Uh, my, my inner millennial, I guess, or, or Gen Z are really kind of shied away from going out and seeing people in, in person. I got very comfortable being on camera as opposed to having to be in person. So that was something that I had to, to really do a little self-work on to explore the limitations that it would place on, on my, my capabilities in impacting uh, broader groups, right? Because if I was just going to be online, there's only so many hours a day. So sure, I could, I could interact with a lot of different people, but a lot of the, the local folks in my area had never heard of me because I spent so much time online. So it's been a, it's been a lesson learned for me this year. And it's also been a, a nice opportunity to kind of get a little bit more active in my community and get to know so many wonderful uh, fellow small business owners uh, in my area. So can we talk a little bit about team leadership solutions? And even what I see on your website and your Facebook page, your your book, you talk a lot about ripple effect. So can you describe to the listeners what that is and how you utilize that or a company utilizes uh, that ripple roadmap to affect change, you know, in their, in their company, in their persons, just how do you use that? What does it mean and how do you use it? 
Yeah. So the ripple effect, I think I'm a, a big proponent of setting a good example. Uh, and I'll, Strengths Finder is the the assessment tool that I like to work with. And it's kind of the foundation that I use with organizations. When I go in, we do the Strengths Finder assessment and it's it's through Gallup. It's available on their website. I, I use it because I think that it provides a really nice language, a list of words, list of terms, ways that we can communicate with one another and we understand kind of where each other's coming from. They talk about it being what's strong in, in individuals as opposed to what's wrong. And I really, I really like that. My number one strength is responsibility. And I, I didn't really understand that the first time I took it years ago, I, I was with the government still. And I, I don't know that I really dug into it that much, but after getting involved with the the coaching and training, I really leaned into it and did the the certification so that I could I could train on Strengths Finder, and I realized that my responsibility strength shows up so often. Uh, a lot of it stems from and 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 we talk about unlearning programming from our childhood. But I was the oldest, and I was often encouraged to set a good example for my younger siblings. You know, you're the oldest, you have to set the good example and you should know better and things like that. And I, I, I didn't realize just how much that had taken root, but by the same token on the upside, it really does provide me with this sense of, I, I want to, I want to be a good example for others. I've had the, the blessing and benefit to have been around some really, really wonderful managers and leaders and coaches and and people through my life and my career that I want to build that in organizations, build that in individuals. So when I wrote the book, What's Your Ripple Effect? That was kind of the foundation for that is what kind of example do you want to set for yourself, your children, your family, your friends, your colleagues? And I when I first started talking about the idea, several people told me that not everybody is meant to be a leader. And I think I really bristled at that because I, while I recognize that not everybody is meant to manage others, we all get to lead ourselves every day. Every day we get to get up and decide who am I going to be today? And it might not be as, as blatant as that, right? You're not going to get up and be like, Oh, well, who do I want to be today? You know, what, what am I going to do? But we do get to decide before we even open our eyes, what time are we going to get up? What are we going to do first thing when we, we get up this morning? Are we going to go to the gym? Are we going to make breakfast? Am I going to take the dog out? What decisions? And some of these are baked in that have to be done, right? Or there's consequences to them. But we get to decide how we're going to move through the decisions for the day. And we also get to decide what how we're going to behave in a way that others are going to see. Uh, not to belabor the car example, but say you're driving. And one of the examples I give in the book and in, in the ripple training is that, you know, you're, you're driving and someone you've, you, you're running late, right? So you're driving crazy and someone cuts you off. So of course you have to go around and cut them off. And then maybe you, you throw a hand up in the air and, and make a gesture, right? And then you get to work and you, you, beat someone out for a parking spot and then you 
brush through the, the entry to your building without saying hello to the door person. Thinking about how many people you've just impacted in that 20, 30, 45 minute stretch of the between the person on the highway, the person in the car park, and then the person in your building. And then where does that lead them? You know, what is going on in their life? And how did that land with them? And and what the weight of our behavior is on others. And again, back to my my responsibility, right? Thinking about all those things. And, and the impact that we have can be really heavy. We never know what other people are, are dealing with in their lives. And I know that I love it when I'm out and about and you say something to someone like, uh, what, a, what, a, what a really pretty scarf, right? Or, or those, are, those are great shoes. And the look on other people's face when you say that of both surprise and appreciation is a powerful thing. And it, a powerful thing for me. And I, I, I like that feeling. And I like that feeling that maybe I had a little bit to do with making them smile or making them feel a little bit more confident because again, we don't know what they're dealing with. So the ripple back to this, sorry, I wandered there. The, the ripple is a framework based on that of, of how we can lead ourselves first, but then also how we tie that into how we show up in our personal life and in in our professional life. Uh, It's built on six core competencies. Uh, I named them around the ripple so that it would be easy to remember. We've got responsibility, innovation, partnership, persistence, leadership, and empathy. And each of those when you when you look at them individually, they help us to show up better in our individual lives, but they also help us to show up better in the collective. Empathy, obviously, is one of those things these days that when we talk about uh, the workforce and we talk about the the older generation, the long, younger generation, recognizing that everybody is showing up with their best of intentions is I think sometimes in short supply, right? I mean, and we won't get sideways into into too much current events here, but I think that slowing down just a little bit to give folks the the benefit of the doubt or or at least make the initial assumption that they are showing up with the best of intent before we assume the worst is something that we all could benefit from. And at the workplace, when we think about, oh, well, they, they, didn't email me back because of this, that, or the other reason, or, or they were slow on this, or I didn't get the promotion for that. There's so much self-talk that we already have. And then we pile on top of it, all of these feelings about what other people are making decisions and why they're making decisions that just compound it. And then it really starts to break down the, the culture and the climate in the office and on the team. So we use the Ripple framework to first of all, break all that down and talk about the foundational pieces. We talk about the strengths that each team member brings to the table. Then we look at them through the lens of these six core competencies and talking about collaboration and how when we partner with the different people on our team and in our organization, and we recognize that we don't know everything and that everybody is there to bring something to the table to make us all better. And then celebrating that. Okay, so 
I just had an aha moment. A little bit ago, you said something and I, and I wrote it down on my pad of paper here. It was about, you're talking about strengths and how it's looking for some what's strong instead of what's wrong and how everyone is a leader for themselves and other people in some way. And so I had this aha moment because as I was preparing for our session today, um, I got up out of my chair and, and I went over to the sink to get a, a glass of water and I'm looking out the window and I saw across the street an elderly and disabled person fall down on the crosswalk. Oh. And immediately there was a car that pulled over and this young woman got out and assisted helping this person over to the side. And then she got out uh, or went back to her vehicle and got like a, a baby blanket or something out of her car, went over, you know, take, took it to this person. There was some blood she was helping to clean up. And eventually I watched her put this person in her vehicle, do a U-turn, and I'm assuming head straight to like the emergency room with this person. And I happen to know this woman, <laughs> and I believe she is even a listener of this podcast. And what I know about her is that she has so much heart. And so as you were describing the six core competencies, I could see how empathy is her greatest leadership strength. And I believe that is being passed over in her workplace where it is not as valued, maybe. She is not as valued, maybe, as other individuals that may have more, you know, persistence or innovation or whatnot. So I wonder, just as an example, like using this very brief and vague description of a person that I just gave you, how could you help someone that is highly empathic succeed in a leadership role in the workplace in, in the presence of all of these other competencies? How do you um, help the everyone understand like that's just as valuable as everything else? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, and I think that we all have, to your point, a variety of different uh, ingredients that we bring to the recipe, right? And while empathy is her greatest, it doesn't mean that she doesn't have the others. And to for her and, and, and not knowing exactly the situation and whatnot, part of it begins with the team because I think that one, it's for the individual to be able to demonstrate the capabilities and, and competencies and all of those things. I think that empathy can be a, oh, how do I want to say? So I, people that are very empathic sometimes can appear softer. I think, and 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 more uh, sympathetic, which sometimes can, to your point, can be seen as weakness. And and I don't know this person or the situation, so I don't know that if that's what's going on there. But there's certainly so much value that that brings to an organization, and some of it's just in training. It would be more to train her leadership or train her team so that they recognize that whatever we bring to the table is a strength. Regardless, maybe this person's more empathic, this person's more innovative, this person's more responsible, whatever they may be, 
it's more about the collective and all of the pieces coming together uh, back to the recipe thing, right? All of those ingredients, if you, if you make a sauce and you leave the salt out or you leave the, the tomatoes out or whatever it may be, you're going to know that something's missing. So it's looking at it more holistically from an organization standpoint to train your employees, train your leadership to recognize that individually we don't get very far. But by this woman bringing her wealth of empathy to the table, I mean, as long as she's doing her her job and her tasks and everything, she's enriching your organization. She's enriching your team culture by that super strength that she has that she brings in, right? And maybe counterbalancing somebody that is not very empathic at all, but they're very innovative. So it's more about training people to see that it's more about the we than the me. So is one of the ways you help the leadership team discover these strengths and and how they're all just as valuable as the next one, is it through like doing a strengths finder or personality quizzes or like is that is that kind of the way you help them figure out how they can utilize all of the employees to their best of their abilities? Yes. So the strengths finder is kind of the the first step. You know, when we go in, everybody does the strengths finder and then the entire team, then we sit down and we take a look at all of the different strengths and we talk about them because in 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 all of the the uh, discussions that I've done with people, I've never had anybody say to me, oh, that doesn't sound anything like me. Gallup has spent decades now of per- perfecting and improving and, and uh, improving upon their algorithms to get it right. So it's usually a very close representation of how you're showing up at the office and even why you're making decisions or why you're, you're working the way you are. But it can be very enlightening for your team members, um, for example. So one of the strengths is a uh, learner, where there are certain people that really want to understand what's going on, and that's how they process information. It makes me think of, of you know, your, your two or three or four-year-old that's why, 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 right? That they're totally in that learner stage back then, and you, we don't do strengths finders on toddlers, but just to use that as an example that that person in the office may be very highly ranked in that learner category where they value more information and context and understanding the the details of what it is they're doing before they're going to work on the project. So for a supervisor to understand that this person really values that, they will look at that person differently when they come back to the office and ask more questions and say, well, how can we do this or what information or what background so that they can kind of temper their reaction to them or even adjust the way that they're tasking that person. If you've got a project that requires a lot of research to uh, come up with a project plan or something like that, you want to give it to someone that's a learner like that because you know they're going to be very thorough. They're going to be very detailed about making sure they piece everything together. So it really understanding the strengths is just the baseline so that we have, again, a kind of a common vernacular to talk about the different strengths and talents of each person on your team. Then we look at it holistically. I put a chart up and we look at where everybody is, what strengths they have, and then we can see if there's any holes. The strengths drop into, there's 34 strengths and they drop into four categories, influencing, uh, relationship building, 
executing and strategic thinking. So you might have people in three of those buckets, but no one in relationship building. And perhaps your organization is really struggling with growth. That could be because you don't have anybody that's got strengths there. It doesn't mean that the other folks are not able to do it, but they're not capitalizing on those innate strengths to be really good at it because you're you're missing somebody in that category. So by looking at that, it gives leadership an opportunity to understand, okay, well, here's everybody's strengths. Here's how I can lead them each better. Here's how I can task them better. And here's the gap so that when we go out and we look for additional talent, the types of strengths we want to highlight when we're looking for our next person. So do you assist companies in searching for employees that are that need to fill those gaps? Is that one of the services you provide? I don't really do that. I can certainly help with writing of the position description and reviewing those and talking a little bit about the strategy of, of what types of um, core strengths would be integral to someone that might be successful in that role. Okay. So, so I'm, I'm not a, an employment, like I'm, I'm not in, I don't go out and look for employees. I'm, it's more, a, a, I assist the leadership in figuring out the strategy on how to build out the team they're looking for. Okay. So do you ever like recommend to the leadership team that they have their candidates take the strengths finder to see if they will actually, because someone, anyone can say, oh yeah, I'm really innovative, but are they really, you know what I mean? Like they could get hired and then not fulfill the requirements of the position they promised. Yes. And some organizations do require different assessments or do request them as part of the application process. Okay. Well, let's shift a little bit from talking about leadership and talk about service instead. I noticed you have something called Pillars of service. Can you describe what those pillars are? So my pillars of service are around the different capabilities and they're the, um, I'm sorry, they're the, they're the, the things that I do to support the organization. So it's individual service to one-on-one coaching, helping individuals improve their mindset, their approaches, their uh, capabilities. Then there's the teams where it's around um, team leadership and then around strategy for organizations, kind of like what we were talking about, looking at their teams holistically and um, identifying what areas would be beneficial for their departments or their teams or, or their gaps. Nice. That's interesting. Do you ever speak on that? Like get on stages, like people hire you to come and just do like speaking instead of breaking down, you know, the company and doing strengths finders and all of that. Do do companies ever just hire you to come in and speak to everyone? And then you speak on what these pillars are. Yes. I'm, I haven't been hired to do it. Actually. I just, that's a service that I, that's a free service that I provide. I do go into organizations and do either like a lunch on learn. Sometimes I'll, I'll do, organizations will have uh, luncheon speakers, things like that, or for workshops and conferences, come in and talk around things 
couple of the topics that I talk on are, uh, you don't have to know everything, even if you're in charge. I think that we often get into a leadership role and suddenly imposter syndrome and all these things creep in that we, we feel like we have to have all of the answers. And sometimes the idea that we don't have all the answers makes us so much more approachable and authentic. Again, you have to know enough to do your job, but we're all learning and growing. So the the conversation is more around who can you lean into, who can you empower and elevate around you to highlight their skills because that, that rising tide lifts all boats. Another topic are critical behaviors. And my first book was around assumptions, boundaries, and communications. So I talk about that. Uh, and then what's your ripple effect around the topics of the book and self-leadership. So we talk a lot about boundaries in life coaching, which is one of the one of the things I do as a life coach is help women understand boundaries. What exactly is a boundary, the way to speak a boundary effectively so that the other people understand what it is and how you're placing, you know, a boundary on them. Um, how do you help companies or individuals within a company understand boundaries and how to use it for the good of the company? Oh, boundaries. Boundaries is one of those things that in all parts of our life, right, we could stand to to all be a little bit more attentive to our boundaries. Ba I look at boundaries as how we teach people to treat us. And often we worry about protecting our boundaries because we think we're going to be offensive or, or inappropriate or, or rude or whatnot. But it, it really not to belabor the the ripple effect, it really does ripple out to other parts. If, if someone's constantly pushing against your boundaries and you're not protecting them or pushing back, then sometimes resentment can grow or frustration and it just snowballs into, into so many other things. Uh, from the idea of showing up to meetings on time and making sure your employees are being respectful to how you want to be called. Maybe you want to be called miss or Ms. or Mrs. Things like that. Boundaries kind of are the foundation for how we build relationships personally and professionally and how we maintain them. So if we're respectful with other people's boundaries and encourage them to be respectful of ours by gently pushing back, and it doesn't, I'm a big fan of the one-liners, you know, the short little quips, because I think that uh, it can be not necessarily playful, but it can be kind of instructional, but not nasty. And in the moment is another big piece is if you, um, like children, right? If you if you talk to them about something that happened three days ago, they may not re remember or understand. And and grownups are the same, right? If you you talk about something a few days ago, your moment has often passed. So dealing with something in the moment, if you can, either if you're a leader in front of your team, so that everybody understands that this is a boundary. We show up to the meeting at nine o'clock, and we begin promptly at nine o'clock. Please make every effort to be here. Or if it's something more severe or more one-on-one, -on -one, taking that person to uh, a private space, you know, off to your office or picking up the phone and having a one-on-one -on -one conversation about, you know, I'd appreciate it if you did this in the future or didn't do that in the future. Those are great tips. So we should probably wrap up here. Um, do you have any tips for like two or three tips uh, just off the top of your head for 
let's say, an employee that really wants to grow into a leadership position in their company? Like, what are some things they can start doing right now to show the leadership team that they're interested in having, you know, a, a more advanced leadership role? Oh, great question. Um, okay, so the first one I would say is communicate that. Uh Managers are not mind readers. So if you want to advance and grow in your organization, communicate that in your annual review. It doesn't need to be a demand that this is what I'm expecting next year. It's more of a conversation. Hey, I'd like to grow in this role. These are the things I was thinking would help set me up for that. Are there things that you would like me to focus on? Are there areas you'd like me to grow with? And continuing that conversation with your supervisor seeing if there are resources within your organization to expand those opportunities. Do they have internal training? Do they have a mentor program? And if they don't, looking for ways outside of the organization, there's lots of free training on LinkedIn. There's other organizations like myself and, and other organizations where you can pay for training. Um, finding a mentor is the next thing, a professional mentor or two. I always recommend finding somebody that might be in the role or the role past where the next one up for where you want to go. This is a personal thing. You know, you want to make a connection with this person and, and, and pick their brain, but you also want to, it's a, it's a, it's a connection piece. So it might not be the first person you think of. You may go and have a coffee and just say, Hey, would love to chat with you about your experience and learn more from you. Uh, it can be informal like that, but you may or may not connect with that person. So you do want to try and connect with a mentor that's going to push you and challenge you, but not squash you or not inhibit your your abilities or your your mindsets too. So trying to find that right personality. Think of it as a an interview process, trying to find the person and you just be polite about it. Be like, thanks so much for your time and, and move on and then perhaps interview another person. There's also... Um, organizations that offer professional mentors. But I think that in your organization or in your field, finding somebody more organic, in my experience, is typically the best. And the third thing would be to never stop looking to learn. Uh, the best leaders are the leaders that want to be good leaders because they're constantly sponges. They're constantly looking for ways to be better. They're looking for ways to grow, looking for new knowledge, looking for ways to expand that. And I think that that's when we decide that we know enough is when we really stop growing. I love those tips. And I, I just would like to add to when you were speaking about finding a mentor um, like personally, I don't know if it's just my specific personality, but I would be scared to ask someone like, hey, how did you do this? Or, you know, advice on this. But truly, people that are successful want to help other people become successful. And so, yeah, I would just add to anyone listening that heard that, don't be scared. Ask the people, and if they happen to say, "I'm sorry, I really can't," you know, help you at this point in my life. Well, clearly they aren't the person to help you. Go keep seeking out and find that person that is going to help you because they do want to help. The help is out there. Absolutely, absolutely, and and your point is spot on. That if they say no, then they're not the they're not the mentor for you. Mm -hmm. Yes, perfect. So this has been a really fascinating and engaging conversation. Um, 
Can you give the listeners all of your contact information? Where can they find you online or on social media? Uh, find your book and your journal. Like, how do they find all of your things? Yes, thank you. So uh, you can email me, Kelly at teamleadsolutions.com. My website is teamleadsolutions.com. And the book is called What's Your Ripple Effect? And my first one is um, Maximizing Team Performance by Mastering Your ABCs. Both of those are on Amazon. And you can just search my name on Amazon, Kelly Featheringham, and you'll find those books, as well as the Ripple Impact Journal, which is kind of the companion guide that goes with the What's Your Ripple Effect. It's a 52-week planner, but it also gives tips and tricks and, and, and some exercises to kind of challenge your thinking around the, the ripple effect. And social media, I'm on LinkedIn most most of the time. I am on Facebook, but I don't do too much on there. But I do write articles and things on LinkedIn. You can find me there. It's just the the regular LinkedIn search, Kelly Featheringham. And I'd I'd love to to chat with any of your listeners online. I'm always happy to do just a one on one networking call just to just to meet them and and learn more about them. Oh, that's such a great offer, Kelly. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing all your information and your expertise today about leadership and your business team leadership solutions. I really appreciate you coming on the show today and talking to the listeners. This has just been a fantastic conversation again. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Barbara. It was wonderful. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. For more of my content, you can go to my website, barbaraseaman.com, and also my Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest pages. And remember, to get my content delivered right to your inbox, you can sign up for my emails by going to my website homepage. Now here's the legal stuff. This podcast is not intended to diagnose any medical problems or recommend any medical solutions. This show is presented merely for educational and entertainment purposes only. I'm just your friend chatting with other friends, so please seek help from a qualified health professional for all of your healthcare needs. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.